Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 13. And I promise, I promise you I'm going to finish this section on let brotherly love continue. I've been trying to get through verse 6 now for three lessons. This will be the fourth lesson in this series, let brotherly love continue. And we're actually going to cover verse 5 and verse 6 together this morning. Now, you know, when it comes to this idea, it's not really just an idea. It's actually uh, a necessity for those born of God. You and I, and I, I said this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about these same passages of Scripture, we have a unique bond that is given to us in Christ Jesus that supersedes and goes far beyond any tie of earthly flesh and blood. I mean, you think about it like this. Again, this, this is the way that I try to relate it to my mind. You know, I'm a simple man with a simple mind, and I try to keep things in a simple fashion for me to understand. And what, what I, I think about is like this. Every, every elect sinner, those whom Christ was given in everlasting covenant of grace, all those whom... Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ represented by his very obedience unto death, establishing in their name and in their nature a, a righteousness of infinite value, a righteousness that demands the justification of all those for whom he suffered, bled, and died, all those whom God the Holy Spirit in time <clears throat> by uh, the preaching of the gospel brings them to true faith and true repentance, what do they all possess? Huh? You ever think about this? What, what, the, the apostle put it like this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. From the newborn babe in Christ to the man or woman who's walked with the Lord for a lifetime, they all possess the same spirit, they're all born into the same family. They are all, listen, all of them equally heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You ever had a spat with a brother or sister? Huh? Did you get over it? Now, there are instances that even flesh and blood sometimes, you know, there, there are some, some brothers, physical brothers, physical sisters that get separated one from another, and they never reunite. There are children that get separated from their parents over different various wrong or right ideas on one part of another that they get separated, maybe never get back together. But for the most part, our siblings, our flesh and blood relatives can do just about pretty much anything or say pretty much about anything, and at some point in time, if they will ask us to forgive them or we ask them to forgive us, what usually occurs? We pick up the pieces and go on. Well, as in the natural, how about in the spiritual? You know, the apostles ask our Peter, ask our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, if my brother sin against me, how many times am I to forgive him? Seven times? Christ said, no, not seven times. How many times? Seven times 70. 
And in reality, I mean, you think about it. I, I always think about it like this, too. Paul put it in the book of Ephesians. And, I mean, this is a a goal to strive for. It's one we can't get there. But we still should strive for it. Listen to this. Be ye, but here's here's the whole context. This is to believers. This this is what blows my mind. See, they they never told me this in false religion. They always made it out like this was to, Kenny, this was to false professors. This is to justified saints. This is to those who rested. He's already told these same people, believers, lie not one to another. Huh? Believers, lie not one to another. <laughs> He'd already told believers, don't let the sun set on your anger. But then he sums it up like this. This is to believers. Let all bitterness. You'd think we'd never have to be told this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And listen to this. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How should I forgive my brother? My brother, sister in Christ, it's wrong me. Maybe they have, maybe they hadn't. Yeah, I think a lot of the problems that we have as justified saints, we assume too much, don't we? We think somebody said something, but we, ne- we don't take the time to go to them and say, is this what you meant? Because I've been offended and I want to make certain that, I mean, number one, we should. Our Lord, think about what he took in our place. And yet when when... When, when they reviled him, what did he do? How did he respond? He reviled not again. And yet you and me, when somebody wrongs us, what do we do? We revile the, we become the revilers, revilers, don't we? Forgiving one another, how? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He didn't forgive me for my sake. He didn't forgive me for my faith. He did not forgive me for my repentance. He does not forgive me for my church attendance. He does not forgive me for my giving. He does not forgive me for my preaching. He forgave me for what? For Christ's sake. And the same can be said of you. Every one of us. Again, remember... Think, think every day like, remember the hole of the pit from which you were digged. Think where you came from. We have such a high opinion of ourselves. And he's telling us that, listen, this thing of brotherly love is not something that's just in a few believers. It's in God's children. That is. And he tells us, and this is the thing, when we have true brotherly love, one for another, the world, how are they going to view us? Huh? You ever had anybody say this? You you folks down there at Grace think y'all the only ones that are saved. Do you think that way? Do you think because you're in Grace Baptist Church you're saved or you're 13th Street or Eager Avenue or anything? No. Huh? 
we don't think we're, we're the only one saved. Thank God we're not the only one saved. But we know this much, God saves sinners how? Truth sets them free. And we will not compromise that. We will not compromise that for friend, family, for anybody. Nobody. And so they look at us as what? Well, if you're not willing to compromise on these things and be loving and kind and compassionate to everybody that's trying their dead level best to please God, you've got to be the most mean-spirited, hard-hearted, ungracious person man or woman in the world. Why? You won't compromise. What won't we compromise? We won't compromise the glory and honor of God's redemptive character. We won't compromise Christ's person, who he was, or his work, what he did, or his mediatorial accomplishments on the behalf of all his people by crying peace where there's no peace. Listen to you. I mean, I, I, our Lord, made, he told them up front, as they sat there and listened to him on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, he looked at them and he said to you and me, blessed, it's ironic that these go together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, does that mean if, if I see a fight and I stop the fight, and get two people to hug and make up, and I'm a peacemaker. Is that what he's talking about? No, what kind of peace are we talking about here? We're talking about peace with God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The only ones that talk about the true and living God are those who are what? His children. What do we tell? God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto That's making peace. See? Blessed are the peacemakers. Tell many women the truth. There's one way to God. There's one righteousness. There's one gospel. There's one hope. You look anywhere else, what? Without hope, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. But then he doesn't stop. What's the next thing he says? That We're peacemakers. What does he say? And this is the thing. I, I know you ought to remember this. When we talked through the Sermon on the Mount, you can't say, well, I'm a child of God because I'm hungry and thirsting after righteousness, but I might not be that peacemaker. No, these are all, all these are in every child of God. Everyone hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Every one of us is poor in spirit, right? Every one of us is meek. You say, right, Pastor, you ain't me. <laughs> I'm meek in Him. Huh? Because I'm weak. He, when, that's where my meekness comes from, is I know that I got nothing. Blessed are the pure in heart. Who can say they've made their own heart pure? Can you? I can't. But he says here, the only ones that are blessed are who? The ones who have a pure heart. You got to have a pure heart. Well, you get it. Through that peacemaking we're talking about. But then he goes on. Blessed are they, right after he's called us peacemakers, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely, not because of the way you wear the hair or the way you dress or the way you talk, character, and conduct, for my sake. 
day. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. What's our reward? Huh? What he told Abraham? I am your buckler. What else am I? I am your exceeding great reward. Well, they, didn't they keep that carrot dangling out in front of us all the time? Are there going to be, how many times did I sing in false religion, will there be any stars in my crown? Remember that song? And I'd sing it, I was in the choir, and I sat between two guys that had the worst breath on the planet. And they would lean, I was in the middle, one of them was like six foot five, and the other one was like five foot eight. One was on one side, and one was on the other, and they'd lean across me, do you know the number, the number that we're singing? But I'd out-sing them all when we'd sing those songs. Because that's what I was looking for. I wanted a star in my crown. I wanted a mansion over the hilltop. I wanted to walk on those streets of gold, right? Didn't you want the windows of carbuncle? Didn't you want all those things? No Eric explained to me what that carbuncle was. They tried to, but I wanted it, right? And then I realized, what, what is this? It's the house of God. And it ain't this building. It's the house that God's built in Christ. That's, that's the mansion over the hill to, to be with the heavenly Jerusalem. To be in that one that our Lord God built and made. So we won't compromise this. Now we just won't. And see, this love, that because we won't compromise, well, we, had to, we have to test the spirits. I don't, listen, when somebody comes to me and starts talking about me about religion, I don't immediately jump on board with that we believe the same thing. It takes some time to discern what these people actually think. Because at some point, I got a friend request from a guy today. You get them all the time from these folks over in Africa. And I got one, I, you know, he got an American name, but you can tell him by his picture, he ain't from around here. Yeah. But then you look at his wall. I accepted it. I didn't want to after I looked at his wall, but I accepted it. Because you know what I thought? Maybe he'll hear something. Because I always think about everybody that I know that the Lord has been pleased to use our gospel ministry here at Grace to bring them to true faith and true repentance. You know what? When they first found us or they found Bill or they found Scott or they found somebody else, they were the complete opposite of what we are. And I looked at this guy's wall and the first thing off the bat, it was one of those old reform, not an old reform, a young reform, one of these popular reform pastors just stacked up, Kenny, just one right behind the other. All of it character and conduct. All of it about how you live. Even had one by a dude that I used to greatly respect and held in high esteem, and, and, uh, but it, it, it was, he talked about the fact that he knew that he possessed the Spirit of God not by the doctrine that he knew and understood, but by the way he treated his wife at home. Well, that's a good way to judge whether or not you're saved or lost. I treat my wife and my kids okay. But you know, that's about how 99% of Reformed people judge lost and saved. It's not, not what you believe or what you hope. It's what are you doing? How are you different? What's changed in your life? I tell you, it forbids us to, to 
compromise the gospel. And the thing of it is, this love's got evidences in it. What do we do? We care one for another. The Apostle John put it best. We know. Listen, we know. We are convinced. We have passed from death into life in that we do what? We love the brethren. Not the world. Because you see, see you've got to make distinctions. That's in 1 John chapter 3. What did he say in 1 John chapter 2? Huh? We know we've passed from life into death because we love the brethren. 1 John 3, verse, I think it's verse 12, I think. Don't, don't quote me on that. But in chapter 2, what did he say? Love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. For everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, what are, they are of the world. They're not of God. And what's happening to everything that's of the world is passing away. And then he turns around and he says, we know we've passed from death into life and that we love who? The brethren. So there's a distinction. We're not to love the world. We're not to be conformed to this world. And that doesn't mean what the religious world tells us when they talk about Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way your mind's transformed is how? Is by revelation of the righteousness of Christ, period. But it evidences itself. I mean, if you don't believe it, go read what our Lord said. He said if, if you know, remember, remember in, in Matthew uh, where he was talking about, turn over to Matthew 25. I do want you to see that before we move into these verses real quick. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. Or verse 33, we start at verse 33. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. You see the distinction? These goats ain't going to ever be sheep. That's not, they're, they're, there's nothing in the scripture that teaches us that goats turn into sheep. Matthew chapter 25, verse 33. Then shall the king say to them on the right hand. Now, who's on the right hand? The sheep, right? Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, not that you've merited. What was it? It's prepared for you. How long has it been prepared for you? From the foundation of the world. Connect the dots. The children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, it was said unto him, the elder shall serve the younger, even as it's written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. When did that occur? before they had done any good or any evil. Now, see, everybody was key on that doing evil. But it says before you did any good. Okay. For I, now that, here's, here's, these, are the, these are the sheep. I, and remember, I connect the dots again. Our Lord said, who did he lay his life down for? I lay down my life for the sheep. For I was a hungry, he says to them, the, the sheep, the elect, the redeemed, I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then, notice what it said. Then shall the righteous say. What are they? 
and righteous. Lord, when saw we thee hungry? Fed thee, thirsting, gave thee drink. When saw thee, we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? You know what the righteous don't see? <laughs> they don't see what this world's looking for. See, everybody outside these four walls that does not believe this gospel, you know how they judge you saved and lost? By these actions. As a sinner saved by God's grace, how do you judge yourself saved or lost? See, that's the difference. They said, when? I, if you ever do anything that you think is a good work, that's the work that was the worst. <laughs> Everybody I know is trying to do good work. I, and get me, don't get me wrong. Don't you go out of here, and if you're watching us this morning, don't you think, that guy don't care how we live. I do care how you live. But how we live is regulated by what we are. We're not living to get to heaven. We're living because we're members of heaven. We're, listen, we're already, before we take that first step by way of obedience, what are we? We're kings and priests. Then what does he say next? The king said, Verily, verily, I, inasmuch as you have done it unto the, one of the who? One of the least of these, my brethren. They're his brethren. And not only are they his brethren, whose brethren are they? Ours. You've done it. Then, then. Shall he say unto them that's on the left? Who's that? That's the goats. That's the unbeliever. Might be religious. Might be an immoral pervert. But they're all on the same side. What are they? They're on the left and they're goats. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devils and his angels. And you might put a footnote in your Bible there. Remember what he said about the kingdom that we received? It was prepared. When was it prepared? Before the foundation of the world. When was everlasting torment and persecution prepared for the devil and his angels? Which that includes not only Satan and all the evil angels, but what? All these on the left. It was prepared when? Before the foundation of the world. And then he hits them with the same statement. For I was hungry, you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and you're in prison, you visited me not. And notice their response. The ones that are unbelievers. The ones who are unrighteous. Then shall they also answer him, saying, you might put another footnote there, Matthew chapter 5, verse, was it, was it verse 20, Kenny? About uh, uh, many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not, have we not, have we not? Yeah, 21 through 23, Matthew 5, 21 through, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, yeah. Lord, when saw we thee hungry? And when saw we thee a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or in prison, or sick, and did not minister unto thee? In other words, we, we did these things. 
In other words, we've, we've been active. Then she'll answer and say, And then, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, my brethren. Now, they might love the world, but who'd they not love? They didn't love the brethren. They didn't love the brethren. Now, turn, turn with me back to our text real quick. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Let me read you a literal translation of verse 5. He says, without covetous, covetousness, the behavior being content with the things present. For he said, no, I will not leave, no, nor forsake thee. That original word translated conversation, you know what it means? It means manner of life. It means your character, your behavior. Let your behavior be how? without covetousness. You think about this. The writer of Hebrews told all believers in every generation that their manner of life or character while in this world, what should it be without? Covetousness. What should our lives be? And I, I'm speaking to myself this morning. What should, what should my life is a justified saint be. A life of contentment. Now think about this. A life of contentment with what the Lord has providentially given me. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's just human nature to want more, isn't it? And, I, and this is the thing, I, and I, I don't. I want to make certain, especially. I, I mean, there's not many young children that are younger people that are up here with us. But you know, I I would never advocate for telling anybody not to excel as far as you can in the things of time and sense. I'm not against that. I wanted my boys to exceed me. I want Zoe to exceed all of us. I want her to. I want her to get the best education that put the best means into her hands. I, I tried my best. Matthew took advantage of it. Jeremy did. You know, I gave him, offered to put them through school. Jeremy didn't want nothing of it. Matthew did it twice. He paid for it the second time, got himself through school, got himself a degree where he can take care of himself. That's what you want for your children. You want them successful, right? And you read a passage like this, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, we have to be very careful here to maintain God's truth and to avoid extremes that aren't warranted, warranted by the Word of God. Because you think about this. You and I, we, we should never think that God promotes or He approves of laziness or neglect of our responsibilities to provide for our families or, you know, I'm, I'm in retirement age now, and from my early 40s until I reached my retirement age, you know what I did? I saved for the future. 
it amazes me. You, you, you get online and you do a little Googling and you find out that the baby boomers, of which I'm a part of, I don't even know exactly what the time frame is on the baby boomers. Anybody know where they're like 1968, isn't it? Or that's further back now. It's like 1948, 48, 49, something like that. You know, we're all coming age. Do you realize that over 50% of baby boomers that are reaching retirement now have no retirement savings? Over 50% of them. It's Generation Z, the one that's the youngest generation now. Now, they got a while to go, and maybe they'll wise up. Generation Z, had less than 5% of them have anything saved toward the future. What do they expect? The government going to take care of them? Mom and dad going to take care of them? You know, so he, he, that's not what he's saying here for you and me. We're, 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 we're to provide for our families. He told Timothy this, but if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own household, he hath denied the faith and he, listen to this, he's worse. He's worse than an infidel. So don't tell me, well, I, you know, I just wait and depend on the Lord to give me everything. You know, it don't happen like that. You have to get a job. You have to work. The Lord don't just drop manna out of heaven. He doesn't. What did he tell us at the beginning? Six days. Our Lord worked six days, did he not? When he created this thing? Six days were ordained for work, and he's given us a seventh day for what? For rest. And listen, we are to use every lawful means that we have to meet our responsibilities to improve and enlarge the provisions of earthly things for ourselves and for our families. I don't, I don't think there's anything. Listen, money's not the problem. So many people misquote that about the love of money is the root of all evil. They try to make it out like there's something wrong with money. You know, I think it was Solomon, didn't he say? I think it was, we, we talked about this. We went through First Timothy not too long ago. I think it was Solomon said it. Might have been Job over in the book of Job. He said, don't let me have too little lest I steal, but too much... I don't know exactly, you know what I'm trying to say. Don't let me have so much that I just don't care. You know? According to the scripture, money itself is not the root of evil. What is? The love of money. The love of money. What does that mean to you and me? Well, even though we're to work hard to provide for our families and for our own future, <clears throat> we can't be let materialism rule our lives. We can't. I think about this all the time, and especially now, you know, as, as we're getting close to Pam closing the business down at the end of this year and us actually being retired, me being put out of work. <laughs> I lose my job. I told her I'm going to fire file for unemployment since she's forcing me out of my job when she closes the company in December. I don't know if I can pull that off. But, you know, you have a tendency, you think, have I saved enough? Have I put enough back? Keep this in mind. 
my future doesn't depend on what I put back. I, I, I lawfully put back what I could. But still, some of it's out there riding in the stock market. And if we get up Monday morning, the stock market goes. I watched that series on the History Channel about FDR. During the Great Depression, people, except the elite of the elites, the J.P. Morgans and people like that, people lost everything. Folks, there are people from back in what, what, the Great Recession when George W. went out and Obama came into power. You know, there were people lost their entire retirements. Now, I'm talking about not just like my little retirement, me and Pam's little retirement. I'm talking about lost millions. Had to go back to work because it was all riding in there. So we can't put our trust in that. What do we, I, I thank God that he's allowed me to have the wisdom to save, but you know what? I don't put my trust in what I've saved. I don't put my trust in what's in my bank account. Because if it's the Lord's will to take it all from me today, you know what he'll do? And having the same spirit as Job had, If he did take it from me, what should be my response or your response? The Lord gave. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In this, all this, Job sinned not. Why? He trusted his God. And I'll be that gum at the end of it all. What did Job have? Huh? After all of that turmoil, he didn't get his kids back. But you go read the book of Job, his wealth was greater at the end than it was at the beginning. But listen to me, slothfulness and monastic idleness under the pretense of contempt for this world is just as evil and it's just as unlawful as a desire for materialism, and power, or popularity. But here's what you need to keep in mind after we've used every lawful means that God has given us to meet the responsibilities of this life, what are we to be? Be content with such things as you have. Those things given to you by God's providence. Why? I, I know it's a parable, but I still can't help but think about it. That, that rich man and Lazarus. I used to quote that verse, you know, that, you know that I've got it here in my notes. David said it, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Where was Lazarus at? <laughs> he, was, he was out, remember, he was out there at the table desiring to eat what fell from his master's table. But here's the thing. What God tell us? What's his promise to you and me? If everything goes south, we lost everything, what have we still got? Here it is. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I have known the Lord now for 36 years, give or take a few months. I don't know exactly. And I wish to God that I could live on the previous blessings that he has so richly provided for me when the next problem comes my way. 
we have such a tendency to forget what he has delivered us through. And I, t- I, can, I can tell you without, without a shadow of a doubt, I, my God has never forsaken me and he's never left me. Now, I've left him. Huh? Filled with doubt and unbelief. Just distraught to the point of tears. Woe is me, right? Everything's against me. But you know, this, this statement, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, you know what it really was? It was a promise. You know who the promise was made to? It's made to Joshua. Listen to this. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses. So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee. Nor will I forsake thee. Go look at Joshua's life. The Lord never forsook him. And he was with him just as he was with Joshua. But notice this, because this is what's so important. All these things that we're talking about, they're related to brotherly love, especially to the evidence of brotherly love. Look at verse, verse 5 again. Let your, com- your behavior be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Because what's our responsibility? You go back and you read 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 4. If we see a brother in need, and you go read over in James, if we say that we love the brethren and we see a brother in need, we don't meet his need, what does he say? How dwells the love of God in you? Why would we not meet the needs of our brethren? Only one reason, what? Covetousness. Covetousness. You think about this, contentment, material matters. What is it? If we're content with what we have, what will it breed in us? Hospitality. Sharing with those in need. We're such greedy creatures, aren't we? Love of money, power, popularity, what do they breed? They breed envy, complaining, unlawful fears. Over-anxious cares for the future. You know what that ought to do to you and me? That, that, that kind of reality should make us all ashamed because each of us are guilty of these sins in varying degrees. All of us. Because here's the thing. All of us expect more from everybody else than we do from ourselves. And we all justify ourselves in these matters and wonder why others aren't more given of themselves. But here's the thing. If we compare ourselves with Christ and what he gave, then we can be compassionate toward others. Listen to this. Paul told those brethren in Galatia, For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. As children of God redeemed from sin and secured for eternal glory based on the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can boldly declare this last statement here in verse 6. We may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. 
I will not fear what man will do unto me. These words, let me read them to you. They're, you know where they're taken from? It took a while to find this, but they're taken from three different psalms. Write these down if you want to. In Psalm 54, 4, he says this, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. In Psalm 56, verse 4, David declares, In God I will praise his word. In God I will put my trust. I will not fear what the flesh can do unto me. And then in Psalm 118, verse 6, David says once again, Psalm 118, verse 6, 19 is a long book, isn't it? He says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man, and it's asked as a question here, what can a man do to me if the Lord's on my side? I, I think about old David when he went out there to meet Goliath. And Goliath, Gary, Gary had mentioned it up here this last week, you know, Goliath, he basically mocked David and mocked David's God. And David's thoughts was this, the battle's not mine. Whose battle is it? See, every time Israel got into trouble, you know what they did? They thought that, that they were the ones that were going to get the victory. Those that came out with their robes made white, how did they overcome? They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, by, by the gospel they believed, hope. And see, this was all the apostles' personal stance before men when it came to their desire to obey God by preaching the gospel. I think about this a lot. Our lot in life, while we're here, is it's singular. Why are you still breathing this morning? You ever thought about that? Huh? The Lord told us to do what? what what's, what's your command? Yeah, I got to get up and go to work tomorrow. Yeah, you need to do that. Make a living. But what did he leave us here for? Go ye therefore, teach all nations. Paul said, preach the gospel, be in season, be, be instant in season and out of season. Right? What are we here for? How does God bring his people to church? How shall they hear except one preach? I tell you what, I tell you when our days are numbered in this fashion. When the Lord has used you to reach the last one of the sheep that he intends for to use you for, your time's done. You hear me? How do I know that? Well, listen to it. Then, this is, this is Acts 5, verse 26 through 32. Let me read this to you and we'll quit. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, Listen to this. This is our motto. We ought to obey God rather than man. 
the God of our fathers raised and th- listen, these guys have t- 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 threatened them with violence. The, this is what he says. We, we're going to obey God. We're not going to obey you. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. He did bring the, his blood on them, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance unto Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. How do we obey him? We believe on him whom God hath sent. Okay. We'll stop right there and we'll come back, pick up finally in verse 7 next week. Okay. You're dismissed the worship. I appreciate your prayer. Thank <laughs> you.